where will cybersecurity leadership be in 180 days' time, ransomware and doxing, and the risks of using open source code in critical apps. These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Nick Holland. Where will we be in 180 days' time? That's the question that ISMG's SVP of Editorial, Tom Field, posed to a panel of security experts this week in an hour-long video interview. I recommend our listeners to check it out on any of our web publications. It's a truly rich and valuable trove of intelligence, including such luminaries as Deep Breath, retired General Keith Alexander, the CEO of IronNet Cybersecurity, Jackie Smith, Managing Director Security Design at Charles Swab, Rebecca Wynn, CISO at 247.ai, Tom Jermalek, CEO of Beyond Identity, Kim Green, CISO at Rodan and Fields, and Anne-Marie Scalet, CISO at Axiom. In this segment of the discussion, Tom Field asked his guests about their vision of the remote workforce in 180 days. Here's the general's response. It's interesting to note if we jump back 15 years, we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing today. You know, think about all the capabilities that have come into our homes, the networking, all these things. So it's now possible. In fact, for our companies, for our people, the most important assets for all of us is our people. And when you think about it, we're sheltering in place to make sure they're safe. Uh, and as a CEO, I know that's what I think about. Are my people going to be safe? I can, I can, I'd rather be miss a day of work than have somebody get sick or die. So, and you all feel the same way. And I know you deal with your workforce in very much the same. So we look at it, as Tom said, when I think about this, my comment is we ought to work more from home. We ought to reduce this. This coronavirus could be with us for a long time. You see this fall, next spring, and beyond. What happens beyond that? So I think we've got to get very good at that and address these problems. And it does create some interesting opportunities. You know, uh, my wife, uh, I, I just met her, and we've been married 46 years. And, uh, oh, there she is. And when you think about now we work from home, it's been great. The commute from the kitchen to the office, really good. And I can get on a call to Europe and a call to Singapore in the same day, and I don't feel jet lag at all. So these are great opportunities. It means we have to change, but I think that's good. I think this change is good. It's also for all of you, all of us that work in the cyber area, this is a huge risk because now we've just opened up all these points of presence into our network. And, you know, I think about now we have to secure employees' networks at home give them a virtual private network. We need to give them the capacity, the bandwidth and all that. And we have to take it to the next step. So I believe first, uh, Tom, working from home is here with us. It's going to stay. It's going to grow. It's going to change the way our country and others do it. I've talked to a number of CEOs around the world. They're all going to it. They all see the benefit. And I think we all now have this additional work responsibility. So what are we going to do to defend against it? You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. As if a ransomware attack isn't catastrophic enough, 
There's a growing trend of adding insult to injury by the attackers threatening victims with the potential exposure of sensitive data pertaining to their organisation. But it isn't as simple as it may sound for the perpetrators. With more, here's ISMG's Executive Editor, Data Breach Today in Europe, Matthew Schwartz. More ransomware gangs have been stealing and leaking data to try and force victims to pay. But while this tactic is noisy and high-profile, is it working? Namely, is it driving more victims to pay, or to pay higher ransoms? That's a question I've been putting to security experts since the Maze ransomware gang first adopted this tactic last year. In October 2019, the gang published almost 700 megabytes of data that it stole from Allied Universal, a California-based security services firm valued at about $7 billion. Prior to that, some gangs had threatened to leak stolen data, but it had appeared to be an empty threat. One outstanding question was whether many ransomware attackers had the technical skills necessary to not just infect an organization with crypto-locking malware, but to first conduct reconnaissance inside a network, find valuable information, and exfiltrate it all without getting caught before they could deploy their ransomware. In short order, however, more ransomware gangs began stealing data before unleashing ransomware. In recent months, there have been at least 10 ransomware gangs doing this, including Doppelpamer, Maze, Nephilim, Sodenokibi, and others. What's caused gangs to double down on leaking sites? The reason that they're creating leak sites is because the message got across, right? People, I believe, were paying less and less. That's Raj Samani, chief scientist at McAfee. And here's how the business model works. Typically, ransomware operators will create a dedicated leak site where they first name and shame victims and later start to trickle out chunks of data, trying to force payment. If a victim does pay, the ransomware operators promise to remove the victim's name and data from the leak site. But of course, there's no guarantee the ransomware gang won't hang on to the data or attempt to sell it to others. That's why leak sites increasingly mean an organization isn't just battling a ransomware outbreak, but also a data breach, at least if attackers have managed to steal any personally identifiable information about employees, customers, or other individuals. But not all ransomware attackers are stealing and leaking data. Ransomware incident response from Coveware reports that in the first three months of this year, of the more than 1,000 cases it worked on, 8.7% of the cases involved data exfiltration. But there have been some changes. In February, the Maze gang was threatening to leak data for nearly every one of its victims. In March, however, only about two-thirds of the cases involved stolen data. Coveware says this shift occurred at the same time as Mays began targeting smaller victims. A few weeks ago, Coveware CEO Bill Siegel told me that it's still not clear, though, if stealing and threatening to dump data gives attackers any edge. He told me that he didn't think it was leading to higher payments, for sure, but he said it was still inconclusive if it was leading more victims to pay. Of course, that won't soften the blow for ransomware victims that face the threat of having their corporate secrets get publicly spilled, which is one reason why security experts recommend organizations always have the right ransomware defenses in place, including up-to-date backups stored offline. Many organizations are also taking out cyber insurance policies with ransomware coverage to further manage their risk. 
For Information Security Media Group, I'm Matthew Schwartz. And finally, to achieve better network visibility, security practitioners must improve their knowledge of tools that support web services, containers, and the evolution of development practices. That's according to Ed Moyle, co-founder of the cybersecurity advisory firm Security Curve. In an interview with one of our newest team members, ISMG's Director of Productions, Anna Delaney spoke with Ed this week and asked him about whether the use of open source code makes critical applications more vulnerable. Here's Ed's response. Um, So for me, I think that so long as your organization has the technical expertise uh, to be able to support, manage, and plan your use of, of open source appropriately, and you're operating within the bounds of kind of what the license allows you to, um, and you're not violating the license, which a lot of people do unintentionally, right? Um, so long as you are approaching it that way, and you have a, a good process around it, I, I personally believe that that uh, the, the end result can be, you know, more secure than less. But again, there's a lot of science that goes into that, right? there's a lot of uh, acumen that needs to go into that. Uh, You know, like, so for example, right. Um, If your organization is the kind of people who, you know, is the kind of organization that's going to say, you know what, we don't care about the license and we're not going to review it. We don't care about having our council put together like a, a, a plan for doing it safely. We don't care about technical expertise of people who can maintain it. We don't care about having developers use it appropriately, you know, and, and you're not going to do the work then honestly, in that case, you're, you're, you're better off with a commercial alternative. But for me, my personal opinion, I think there's room for it. Um, you know, I, I think the ultimate outcome can be better. And actually, where I've used it a lot is things like, like audit findings. Like, so for example, right, I do an audit, I figure out, oh, you know, here's this, you know, this thing that really needs to get remediated right now. And, uh, you know, alternative A, write up a business case, submit it to the budgetary process and wait a year before I can do vendor evaluation and put something in place versus I download some tool that I know from, you know, is open source, put it in place now, even though I know that in future, I'm going to want to do use a commercial product later. Um, like an example would be like, there's a great tool. This is kind of a field of where, you, of, 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 you know, what the topic was, but, but there's a tool called the hive that was written by some folks in, in France. Um, really, great tool. It's basically like an incident response case management system. Um, So, you know, was talking to an organization that had a need for that. And I said, well, look, there's commercial tools that do this, you know, like you could go price them out, go through the budget cycle and do it. Or you can pull down this tool, start using it today. And then when the time comes that you want to bring in a commercial solution, well, just make the transition then. But in the meantime, you actually have a solution to your problem rather than you know, waiting to, to put a solution in place 18 months from now, you know, so like as a stopgap measure, like there's no beating it. And, and uh, you know, I mean, how do you say no to that? Right. How do you say no to, you can answer your problem right now for free versus waiting 18 months and spending a bunch of money. That's it for this week's ISMG security report. Theme music is by Ithaca audio. I'm Nick Holland. Catch you next time.